Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. Today's date is April the 3rd, 2008, and we are in week 24 of the Quest for Authentic Manhood. This week we're going to be led by the men's minister, Houston's First Baptist Church, Eric Reed, as he looks at and explores a man and his life journey. We hope you've been with us these 24 weeks, that you've uh, reflected on life and prayerfully uh, considered completing the manhood plan that you can pick up at hfbcmen.com. Thanks for joining us. We hope you're blessed. Have a great day. Good. All right. What a lively crowd at 6 in the morning. I love it. It is great. It's our last time to meet together this year for Quest. Thank you so much for showing up here and finishing strong. A lot of familiar faces. Glad that you're here today. Um, Hopefully we'll also see you out on Sunday, April 13th. That is going to be the graduation for Quest, the authentic, the Quest for Authentic Manhood. That's when it all wraps up here for us. Uh, but that's just the, the beginning of the journey. It doesn't end with this last session or with the barbecue celebration on Sunday the 13th. It continues from there. And hopefully you've been working on your manhood plans, and you'll get those in to Eric either after we're done here today or by the 6th. That's when the deadline is to get those manhood plans in and to be able to graduate and take part in that barbecue ceremony. So thank you guys again for being with us and journeying with us these last several weeks. I know we've had 24 sessions. It's been longer than that because of the breaks that we've had in between. And starting next week, you can sleep till your regular time on Thursday morning. How about that? Yeah? Round of applause? Yes? Excitement? Excitement over sleep? Or is everyone already asleep? I don't know. Let's see. Eric's got quite a message today. It's going to be powerful, and it's going to be uh, one that will test your endurance to stay awake because it's going to be a long one, okay? So let's, let's make sure we give him uh, <laughs> We're going to be wrapping up and looking back at everything that's been going on these past 23 weeks, and now we're going to be looking at what's going on today. Uh, it's, it's called A Man and His Life Journey, okay? So we're going to be talking about various stages of, of a man's life. We're all in different stages right now. I've been out of commission the past couple of weeks uh, because of what we're going through in my family. Uh, my mother-in-law finally came home after being in the hospital for not one, not, not, not two, but over two years uh, in the hospital. A little bit sooner than we were expecting. Uh, it was more of uh, had to do with uh, insurance than anything else about why she came home, uh, but it's a step in the right direction. Uh, I'd be lying if I told you that it wasn't overwhelming. It is incredibly overwhelming. It's like taking care of a baby in an adult's body. Uh, that happens to be your mother-in-law at the same time, and so it's extremely challenging. It's very overwhelming for my wife. Um, she's she's uh, told me that she doesn't even feel like she's pregnant because all she can think about is how to care for her mom. Uh, but we're at that halfway point in our pregnancy, so another life change is on the way uh, this August. And uh, we just recently found out that that little one inside of her is a boy. So I get to raise a knight. I'm excited about that. So uh, that's, that's something to celebrate. And we're also celebrating about everything God is doing with her mom. Uh, but, boy, it is hard. So please lift us up in prayer uh, in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, because if something doesn't happen soon uh, with her mom getting better, we're going to have to come up with some alternate arrangement because my wife can't keep up this pace that she's going right now especially as she continues to, to grow, and the little one inside of her uh, does the same. So uh, thanks for your prayers, and, and keep on praying for us. Um, let's get, get into it here, guys. Uh, make sure you mark your attendance sheets for the last time, and uh, don't forget you can turn your manhood plans to Eric afterwards. Today, don't bother him while he's talking, okay? Let's just listen to him, and if you don't have it today, that's fine. Uh, bring, uh, email that into Eric uh, by the 6th, and then we'll hope to see you on Sunday the 13th. All right, let's pray and get underway here. Holy Father, God, thank you, Lord, for these past 23 weeks and for today and for all the weeks to come, God, as authentic men. Thank you for giving us a biblical definition of manhood, something that we can look at, a concrete definition that we can live by, a standard by which we can be held to. And God, thank you for your word, which is a roadmap to our life, a lamp unto our feet. God, may we just be immersed in your word as men and as leaders to guide us, and uh, just to step forward and, and live for Christ and make an impact on this world. Speak through Eric, God. Uh, just speak through him mightily and just wrap things up for us here today, uh, which is a, just a springboard uh, for the days ahead. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Twenty-four weeks. 
Unbelievable. I just want to congratulate y'all for discipline, for investing in, in your life, and investing by investing in your life, you're asking God also to invest in the lives of your family and your friends and in generations down the line. And I believe what we said at the very beginning, that if we get sort of manhood wrong, then the church starts going in the wrong direction, and then society goes in that wrong direction, and ultimately a lot of the problems we see, in fact, in the U.K., there was just an article written last week on the breakdown of the home and the absent father and those types of ideas and how they're seeing that played out in schools and in industry of a generation that really hasn't seen modeled out some hard work and hasn't seen modeled out uh, integrity and things like that. And so we're not just wanting to turn out good men. We're wanting to see men get discipled and men get trained. And so Pastor Greg, when I shared this with him after a man had shared it with me, saw this as an essential class for any man because over the last 24 weeks we've, we've done something that most of us would never do on our own, and that is we've, we've sort of opened up part of our life to another man, and we've actually looked at and introspectively looked at and asked God to shine a light into how we were raised, our relationship with our family, uh, whether or not we had close male friends that encouraged us toward God or actually pulled us away. You know, whether your fraternity brothers were, were, were in bucks or were teaks. You know, it's like, and I'm not judging on either side, but who we've been surrounded by also shapes us and why we chose to hang out with the people we have chosen to hang out with. And, and yet God wants us to live in such a way that we become light and we become salt, that we're able to hang out with whomever is around and yet elevate that that godly men elevate the marketplace, that godly men elevate their families. And so I'm encouraged that y'all are here. I want us to pray right now and ask God just to speak into us. He was the very God that fashioned Adam, and then instead of speaking, he exhaled life into him. And Christ, before he departed, he exhaled the Spirit you know, he said, receive the Spirit upon his disciples. And yes, that wasn't Pentecost. That was prior to Pentecost. But God is the God that is not afraid to touch us as men and to breathe life into us. And I don't know about you, but, but there are days that I feel like I need more of his life and less of my own. And Paul made it a statement of that, that he must increase. Well, John the Baptist said he must increase and I must decrease. And I hope that's your heart's cry. I hope that as we've gone through this, you've seen areas of your life that you're like, God, I need your new life in this area. But I also hope you've seen where he's already been doing that in your family, in your life as men. So let's just pray. Um, Father God, we love you, and we need you. We need you not just because we're part of creation and creation's been busted and fallen, but God, we need you as men. We need you. We're, we're different You've got to call upon our lives. You're going to seek us out when things go wrong. That we try to hide ourselves behind our own creation, whether we call it culture or whether we call it job or whether we call it just entertainment. But God, when we're not right with you, we hide ourselves away. And yet you still come and you call and you say, Adam, where are you? And Father, we recognize that in our passivity that we have sinned. And so, Father, we as men want to say today we want to shun passivity. And, God, we want to accept the responsibility of life itself, of the stewardship of life. And, Father, I thank you for a pastor that, that felt a, a call of you to lead us in stewardship, not just financially, but, God, lead us in stewardship of life, that we would be a fellowship of men that goes on mission and that is about mission, that we would give to mission, that we would serve in mission. And we would live that out with families and training them and raising them up to be missional families and missional uh, brotherhood here. God, speak today through your word. Speak through the different models of, of life and the stages of life that, that are here before us. And uh, God, keep us awake. And Father, complete your good work inside each one of us. Because apart from you, we can do no good thing. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I just want to I just want to thank y'all again on behalf of you know Pastor Greg and and Don Mutton and Jason Swigert and Ben Pritchett and Ashim Zeefa. I mean we've we've all sort of had a hand in this 24 weeks.
and it is encouraging for us to know that there are men that are getting something from it. And so for those of you that have articulated that in email or just verbally telling us, we thank you for those that have just said by being here that I'm getting enough out of this that I want to stay, I want to continue to be here. And again, the challenge is please don't leave it one short. It's sort of like <laughs> you've run so far, you've come so far, do work on the manhood plans. And I've received several of them via email this week. I'm not here to guilt you toward it. I'm here to implore you as one brother to another brother. You'll get more out of this, and your life is worth this. This. I mean, the time you might spend watching, filling out your bracket and watching the basketball games for March Madness, you know, it's easy and I can do it and time goes away, but would I spend anywhere close to that amount of time looking at my life and thinking about where God's leading me and where he's led me and what changes in, in life he might have in store for me? And I don't think I want to cheapen my life to say that my life is worth six hours of entertainment but not six hours of reflection and hard work and prayerful consideration. And uh, your, your lives are worth far more than that also. Um, we have looked at all the different wounds, which is not fun for any man to do. I don't know why this starts off with wounds. I'd like it to start off with a definition of manhood. But, but we did, and we walked through that, and we saw the importance of absolutely every relationship in our life. And, and then we've also looked at how that gets lived out in Genesis with Adam and how it gets lived out even better in Christ in the New Testament. And then we've looked at how that practically gets applied with, with a man among other men, among women, about being a husband and, and being a dad. And so today we're going to take sort of a 20,000-foot flyover life itself, the stages that we are going to anticipate going into as men, whether single or married, young or old, successful in the world's eyes or not successful in the world's eyes. And, and so I want us to... So look, there's a, there's a movie clip from one of my favorite movies, and it's about two men that, in a sense, took authentic manhood upon themselves to fight for and to try to win back a, a city on the brink of uh, economic destruction and therefore ultimately uh, the destruction of the families in that. Uh, I see it as a lofty, high movie. Some people see it as uh, sophomoric and, and juvenile, but uh, I want you all to watch. The next town, tons of fun, it's got to be there. Okay, where's Moron? Okay, Moron's here, so McKeesport. Yeah, look, Magellan, we're at the Shrinkle here. You saw what happened, there's nothing I can do, right? Maybe you didn't lean over to insult me. You wouldn't see it coming. Shut up, Tommy. It's not my fault. Poor little furry thing. I've never seen one close up before. What are we going to do? Can't just leave it here. <laughs> oh, no. Loading it up took us over an hour. Now we only got 20 minutes before Brady Automotive closes. Yeah, where are we going to take the deer? I don't know. The vet? You take dead animals to the vet? Why not? I'll take you to the vet. Yeah, I'll take you to the Got that? Shut <laughs> He's just down the hall, sir. Last door on the left. Thank you. Yes. Hey, what's your hurry? You know that thing in the back seat? It's not an air freshener. It's a dead rotting deer carcass. We've got to take care of it quick. Now, this is one of our oldest customers, so we should be in and out. Hey, 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 this sales thing isn't so easy. Can't just go in and out. You gotta finesse them a little bit. Hey, by finesse, do you mean sputtering out sentence fragments and lighting things on fire? No, but it's nice to see you again, Mr. Insult. See, have you seen Richard anywhere? Because if you do, could you ask him? I mean, since he's so good, if he might want to try selling? <laughs> Might not call us. Can't believe he called me a psycho. Hey, were you in there just now? You are a psycho. Good God. And comb your hair. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say you did much better. Thought you were so cool. Watch and learn, he said. <laughs> well, I was watching. Know what I saw? Ah. 
No way that just happened. My car is completely destroyed. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry about your car, man. <laughs> well, we have been on a journey. I, I hope as we finish the journey, and it's really a beginning, that, that we don't end up like Richard's car. And I also hope that as we go through life from here, that, that we actually don't delight when something tragic happens in a brother's life. Uh, I love Tommy Boy. I'll stick it in any way I can and any opportunity I have. Um, I think it's one of the best movies ever. Um, but anyhow, if, it's, if it was offensive to you, I apologize, though. Um, so, sorry, Kevin. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I want us to look real quickly at, uh, at a life cycle map that we have. Um, in 1978, there were 10 Yale sociologists and psychologists that in, enacted sort of a, an experiment, and that was basically they, they began to study the lives of men all over the country, and they, they followed them basically, they had followed them for 10 years, and they wrote their book in 1978. And, and what this book really did is it looked at the stages that men's lives go through, because they found some common themes depending on the age of the men. And they found that it transcended education, it transcended geography, it transcended religion. It transcended ethnicity. And so, so these things were compiled and they were put into a book called The Seasons of a Man's Life by Daniel Levinson. And the basic premise of the book is seen in this quote. It says that men follow a common life cycle. They follow a common life cycle with the same basic seasonal characteristics. And so I want us to look over the map that they sort of came up with and from this to see how life fits into a couple of of stages here. Now there's not a ton of room and I'm not sure why it's all compressed. So you might want to write small as we go through this and uh, if, if you need to, you know, use the back of the book. Uh, we're going to go through very quickly what the stages are with the ages and then, then we'll go through. The first is childhood and adolescence and that's 0 to 22. The second is early adulthood, which I like. They, they call it early adulthood because I'm 40, almost 41 now, and I like that, that it's early. Um, 17 to 45. You have middle adulthood, which is 40 to 65. And then there's late adulthood, which is 60 to, you know, whenever somebody might depart. Um, so these are those. And, and within each of these, you might notice there's sort of this gray area where the the ages don't actually line up perfectly, and there are these transition sides that are there. And so I want us to, to look at the transitions real quickly. And the, uh, the first is the transition from 17 to 22. And this is a transition that a lot of men obviously go through, and this would be sort of the breaking free from mom and dad. You're leaving your home for the first time. We would, we would equate that with either going into the Army, getting a job, or going to college. I mean, it's sort of the, the historic rite of passage to become a man independent economically of their family. And the second transition comes in 40 to 45, and, and obviously that's a transition. What would we call that one? Yeah, midlife crisis. Uh, I've, I've been making jokes the last about three months when people say, how, am I, how are you doing? I'm like, well... I think I'm on the, the leading cusp of midlife thought right now. Um, it's not that I'm old, but I recognize that when I hit 40, I'm like, well, wait a minute, 40? <laughs> you know, I, what I'm doing right now, it better matter. And where I've been, I don't want to make the same mistakes again. I've made enough mistakes in life. I want to do it right. I want to move forward. I want to, I want to leave a mark that, that is bigger than me, but I don't want to do it for me. I want to do it for God, but he doesn't need me to do it for him. And so I've wrestled with all of that, and I've boiled it down to a real simple thing of, God, I just want to be where you want me to be and do what you want me to do. And yet inside there's some desires I have that are, that are bigger than where I am and what I'm doing. And I think a lot of you that have walked through that in the past or are going through that right now, it's there. It's sort of an itch that you have, and, and it's there. And I promise I'm not getting a convertible and, and all that. Yeah, so anyhow... But, but then this other one, I haven't been through this, a transition of 60 to 65. And in this transition, in, in this way, it's, it's really this transition between, okay, I can look back over most of my life, and I see what God has done, and I see the strength and the wisdom that I've accumulated, and yet 
I know that I can't do all I used to do energy-wise, but I, I really want to focus and maximize whatever is left in my life for maximum impact. So the prime earning years are in the past, but the prime impact years can be in the future. And my dad really struggled in this season of his life. He struggled because he, he, lost, his, he lost all of his money through some bad investments, um, which he had identified himself with success and monetary uh, sort of, you know, I'm going to pass on money to my children. I'm going to pass on sort of this heritage of, of this. And, it, and it's all wiped out when he's about 65 years old. So he continued to work all the way to age 78 when he had to quit work because of health issues. And I saw him sort of get into this limbo stage of not understanding his life anymore, that how he had defined himself before was a vocational man. And all of a sudden he discovered that if I don't have a vocation, then what am I? If I don't have a lot of money, then what makes me different than a bum on a street? Because whether or not he would have said it at the time, he took pride in what he was achieving. He took pride in what he did. And there's a, there's a good side of that. We should. If you're a doctor, you should be, man, I'm so glad God's called me to be a doctor. If you're... You know, if you're a student right now, you should be glad that God has called you as a student. But somewhere within there, if we take pride in that to say, God, I elevate myself because of it, we've, we put it as an idol, and God will strip it from us. And I believe that's what he did in my father. For the sake of my dad's soul, God took away everything he had. And I've seen a far better dad and a far gentler dad and a higher... To me, I, I have a higher respect for him having watched him go through that. And so that transition of 60 to 65, although I haven't been there, I've watched my dad go through it, and it's real. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about it. I want to say also that these vary, these ages. This is in 1978. Now we know that, that men typically, we, we go to school longer, that a master's degree now is sort of what a university degree was 10 years ago, right? Or 20 years ago, or 30. And so... Typically, men are in education longer, which means we incur more debt, which then means we find ourselves economically, it's harder just to leave home economically. Do you all know what I'm talking about? There's a sense of that now in this, in this generation that's coming up, that, that there really is a struggle. And so these lines can blur a little bit, but I think the stages are accurate. They also equate these with the four seasons of life of spring, which is the, the time of growth and newness. Everything is new. It's discovery. It's something special, and it's sort of beautiful and exciting, and that's, that's sort of this idea of adolescence. <clears throat> There's summer, which is really, in a real sense, a time of strengthening. It's a time of, of real growth and maturation. It's where most men discover their prime, you know, this is what God's called me to do. This is my vocation. I have been trained in this now, and I'm doing this now. And in the end of that, obviously, it hits that transition of, is what I'm doing now worth it? Is what I'm doing now important? And, and then middle adulthood is fall. And by fall, it really means it's a time of rich harvest. It's a time of hopefully the, the strongest financial positioning that a man will have been in in his life because he has, in a sense, the respect of his colleagues. He's gathered much wisdom and he has, if he has stewarded his money well, he's positioned himself to be able to give and to help and to start new things on the side. And you see a lot of men double dip in this stage of their life. They've been in the military for 20 years, and now they exit and they enter into corporate America, or they go into politics, or just historically we see this over and over and over. And then there's the winter of life. And yes, winter implies in some ways death, but winter is also the time that you reseed, that you throw the seeds out on the, on the last snow of winter, and that that's when you would know that it's time to plant. And that this is the time that men are best positioned for kingdom impact because they're most positioned to mentor other men. And if we were to interview the men in this room and last year when we asked men, we did the mentoring, and, and Pastor Greg did it last year, and he did it this year. There's always dozens and dozens of men that say, hey, I really I, I want a mentor. Help me find a mentor. And the sad thing is that there's not an abundance of men that are stepping up to say, I want to mentor another men. We all want to be mentored. We don't all want to mentor. 
<clears throat> and so my dad wrestled with this. He he told me, and this was probably 10 years ago. He's like, you know, Eric, I, I just I don't see a point in me being in church anymore. I'm like, well, you know, how come? He says, well, there's nothing for me to do. You know, I, I usher, I, you know, I pass the plate, I, you know. I was like, Dad, there are men right now starting off their careers that need someone that will talk to them about integrity, that need someone they're trying to balance their family and their job, and, and you've got wisdom there because you failed miserably early in your career, and you've done it wonderfully as, as you entered into sort of the, the middle phase of your life. He sort of realized what he was doing, that he, he wasn't there at all the games, and he wasn't there in our life as much as he needed to be. And so he, he learned that provision wasn't just economic, that provision was also spiritual, and that provision was also emotional support. And although he's not the greatest in those areas, I've seen him try, and I've seen him grow. And that means a ton to me as a son. And so for those of you that had the father wound, if you haven't actually written down in your manhood plan how you want to address or resolve that, I challenge and encourage you to do that, because you will be, I pray you will be pleasantly surprised when lovingly you approach your father and you share your deep heart need with him, you might find that actually there's a connection that gets made that hasn't been there. It's been said that, you know, that you're guaranteed failure for everything you don't try, but you run the risk of success if you try something that you've intended to do and dreamed of. You actually run the risk of success. You run the risk of having a father say, hey, I, I do want to know you. And I haven't been there, but I want to be there. I want to walk with you. I want to see your life. And I want to be a great-grandfather to your kids. And I want to be a support for you now. And, and I'm just encouraging you all to, to experience some of God's grace in doing that. Let's hit real quickly. Uh, I want to give you three things out of this childhood and adolescent phase that, that men need to be engaged in. And this is when, obviously, boys grow up into men, physically speaking, uh, there are three things they say that are, are needed, and one is a vision of manhood. And you don't have to look very far into pop culture, and we talked about this, but pop culture is not giving a compelling vision of manhood. Tommy Boy is a relatively obvious caricature of manhood. I, I, I didn't show it because I think it gives an exalted thing, but I actually liked the movie a lot again, and so I just wanted to show it. Um, it also a code of conduct. Is, is key for a boy becoming a man. How will I conduct myself in the private affairs of my life? How will I conduct myself in the business world? How will I conduct myself with members of the opposite sex? How will I conduct myself in my, my body? Or as Paul would say, you know, steward this body with purity because it's the temple of God. And you can sort of imagine Timothy as a young man hearing that from Paul and being impacted with a code of conduct that's transcending his own culture that was very sexualized. And young men today are in a culture that's very sexualized. And are we instilling in the young men a code of conduct that transcends our culture? Christ was countercultural in a lot of ways, and this was one of the ways that he honored women and he stood in the gap for women. He didn't degrade women and reduce them down. And then the third is that they need a cause that's bigger than themselves. And historically in America, the thing that fueled the frontier was the American dream, the American frontier, the discovery of the new land, the pioneering, a new business practice, the exploration for something that's never been seen or done. And so our country in so many areas has led the world in research and development. And yet, those things fall short. Those are the things of midlife crisis, of, well, has it been worth it? And to find a cause that transcends our humanity is what God, although these men from Yale weren't believers, they saw the need for a transcendent cause in our life. So in here, the question was never about, you know, will I or won't I be a man? It's really, will I grow up emotionally and spiritually? Because physically we will. Everyone will. But emotionally and spiritually, will we grow up as men? The transition of 17 to 22, I think I've already hit, and just for the sake of time, 
I'm going to just move forward. This is about the breaking away from home, and I think I hit that enough when I, when I went through it the very first time. Um, early adulthood is 17 to 45, and this is where a man will settle into a vocation. I, I remember the dilemma in college and having to choose a major and being torn and talking to different professors and talking to my advisor and changing after I started, and I remember that. And I've always admired people that they're like, well, I want to be an engineer, and I'm really good at math, and so they do engineering, and they go through, and they just follow the path, and they get into an engineering job, and they just ride it straight through. I haven't experienced that, and I always covet that. Um, I think God gives people great clarity sometimes, and then other times he leads them on a quite meandering journey. And uh, both are, are worthy of praise, but uh, they each have their own little struggles and pitfalls. And so in this time, this is the time that men experience that the most. There are very few people after the age of 45 that reinvent themselves, although we have in our own history presidents and business leaders and people that have entered into art and, and music later in life and impacted our culture in tremendous ways. So it's not that you can't, but it's just typically not done. Um, the crisis that we, we talked about at the 30-ish area is, is also a crisis that has been documented in Wall Street Journal and documented in, uh, uh, i trying to remember, I can't remember the name of the magazine, it was two years ago there was an article, but basically they called it the mid-midlife crisis. And that for some reason that men are actually experiencing, and even women are experiencing this as well, sort of a, it's like a precursor or a harbinger to midlife crisis that they sort of experience at the end of their 20s where they, they actually introspectively reflect again, and that's where I made a change in my life, and my career at that point. Also, it happened to be when I got married, so that probably provoked some of it as well. And shortly thereafter, 33, is when we had our first kid. And each, each of those changes does bring about a sense of, you know, okay, I'm doing what I need to be doing. I want to be focused on the most important stuff because I can't do everything now. I have a limited amount of time. And so in here, you know, thoughts like, you know, I'm in a dead-end job, or will this job actually pan out? Those are the types of questions that get asked, you know. Um, want to move on here. Uh, don't worry about that. That was a Clash song that I wanted to reference. Um, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, the fall season is, is, again, that really productive season in a man's life. And the man is on center stage, corporately center stage in their career. Um, if they're in the university setting, that's when they're going to gain a, a full-on, true professorship as opposed to an adjunct position. Um, I've got lots of friends that teach at different universities, and they're all adjuncts. You know, they're young. They're my age or younger, and, and they're, they're eager for the tenured position so that they don't have to worry about jumping the politically correct hoops of life, that they can actually speak their mind and not lose their jobs. And so, you know, in, in this whole thing, I, I think it's good. I want to give you, there's a book written, The Seven season, Seasons of a Man's Life by Patrick Morley, and he gave some questions that every man needed to answer during this period of their life, and that if they could answer these with a yes, they were positioned in life for an unbelievable finish. And if they answered no, they were positioned in life for some great frustration, probably depression, and probably an unfulfilled finish of their life. And I'm offering this to you because each of these stages, we have a choice of how do we walk in it. We either honor God or we don't honor God. We live in such a way that sets us up for the next stage of life. So we're always positioning ourselves. And if you play any racquetball or tennis, you know that positioning on the court is a huge amount of it. If you can get your opponent out of position in racquetball, if you can get them on a wall, then you have an entire half of the court that you can actually hit the ball toward that they're going to be very pressed to get to. And if they get to it one time and you send it the other way, you're going to run them ragged and they're going to be exhausted by the end of the first game and you'll probably have your way with them for the next games. And in life, it's very similar. We want to be positioned for godly success. I'm not saying monetary, godly success. So these questions, and you may need to write these. I don't think they're in there, so, so pencil them down. Am I performing fulfilling work? And can you all see this? Okay, am I performing fulfilling work? Am I a good provider? Am I doing everything possible to help my children become responsible adults? Am I building a strong, loving marriage? Am I doing everything possible to introduce my family to faith in Christ? Wait a minute, let you all finish writing in. And would you all rather me just email those out to you? Would that be helpful? Let me just do that for the sake of time. 
let me, let me run through the, the next set of these. Am I investing in other people's lives as a friend, counselor, accountability partner, and mentor? And hey, if you're 40-ish, if you're, 40 if you're 35, that doesn't mean you can't be a mentor. There are people in Summit Ministries right now that are, that, that are exiting college and entering the marketplace, and they really do just need a, a Christian man that's been maybe five, ten years down the road beyond them. And so while you're waiting for a mentor, maybe you could be a mentor. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I think we, we, we get very self-referential. We, we, we want things around us, but we often don't look out to say, could I be that answer to someone else's prayer? And so consider that if you feel like, hey, I don't have all the wisdom. In the consider mentoring a young man that's just entering the marketplace. And there's some of them in the room right now that are in here that are in college or just out of college and just starting out in corporate America. And there's lots of pitfalls. Um, am I living a life of good deeds and making a contribution to community? Am I living a life of integrity? Am I walking close to my Lord Jesus Christ? And, of course, if you are, then the next question is pretty obvious. Will I go to heaven when I die? Those are the yeses that we need to have nailed down through that period of life. There's a man, Bob Beale, he wrote a book, and in that book it was called Weathering the Midlife Storm. And he gives questions men start asking in this, question, in, in this crisis. And I'm going to email these to you as well. And, uh, in fact, for time's sake, let me, let me just sort of pass over these. I'm going to highlight a couple. Just am I stuck here? A sense of stuckness. And I, that's not a real word, but there's no hope. It's, I'm in a dead end. I can't, it's, you know, I'm just stuck. I can't change careers. I can't get out. I don't like what I'm doing, but I don't know what else I could do. I need more training, but I... I don't have the money to do it. I can't take time off work to do it. I've got family. I've got to be with my family. I can't go off and go to a new college because I'd have to relocate. All of that stuff has just sort of hits and hits around there. Um, understanding ourselves. Why don't I have the confidence I used to have? Uh, the physical sides of things, you know? You, you, your body begins to get limited, and you feel that limit. You can't stay up and do an all-nighter just to pull something off anymore. Um, you know, you might find yourself physically, you go out and you want to work really hard in the yard and you find yourself like, oh, like I remember when my dad would go out in the yard and just be like this, the whirlwind. And then I remember when he'd go out and he would do half the yard, come in and drink a beer, go out and do the other half of the yard, and then come back and take a break for the rest of the day. And yeah, I remember that because he was, all of a sudden he's in his 50s. He just didn't have the energy he had when he was younger. And watching that was hard for me as a son, but I recognize my son is going to watch that happen in me. And every one of us is going to have that happen in our lives. We're going to, we're going to walk through that. And so in middle adulthood, we, we face those things. Um, late adulthood is the winter time, And it is the time that, that we have to realize this. Our energies are diminished, so that demands something more of us. And that something is this, intentionality and focus. That if you're in this season of life, you need to be ruthless with your yeses and your noes. And young men in here, I would tell you, not from my own experience, but from listening to other men, is we need to be about economizing our time, economizing our gifts that God has stewarded into our lives. That so we need to really say, Lord, help me not waste. Because if we get in the habit of wastefulness now, when we hit that, that stage of life, it's going to be really hard for us to get a handle on life. So let's not wait for that. Let's begin to now focus and become intentional relationally, vocationally, ministerially, spiritually. Hope that that makes sense. And in here, you know, these questions of what now, what's left, where's my place, what contributions can I still make? You know, that's where mentoring and legacy come in. And every man follows these cycles. I wish we didn't, but we do. It's part of the organic process of life. And God walks with us through life. And he has shown us many godly men. In Hebrews 11, you know, you read it, and there's the pantheon, so to speak, of, of faithful men that we look to and see. And there are all ages in there. There are adolescent men in there, and there are young men. And then there are really old men in there. And that's how God has always worked. He's worked across the stages of life, not limiting himself in any of them, that wherever you are today, whatever stage you're in today, God wants to pour himself out through you in that stage. And so I want us to, to look at a second stage maps that we have by a man that gave sort of a theological. This is more sociological, psychological. Then a man gave a theological 
since, and it's called The Life Stages Map, and it came out of a book called The Masculine Journey. And in here, there was a, a theologian that looked at the eight words, I mean the six Hebrew words used for man in the Old Testament. And they're written down in there for you. And under each one, then he actually saw that there were very much a, a stage that went along with it. And so he said this, in this sense, these words of, of man, the name of man that's used in Scripture, provide a way of outlining, detailing, and defining the masculine experience. So I want us to look over these in six particular stages. And you should have this uh, diagram in here. Uh, there is the Adam, which is the creational phase. There is the phallic stage of 13 to 25. And again, you're going to hear these are going to be a little bit different. If you're in the back, you may need to move forward if you can't actually read these. Um, in each of these stages, something new will be discovered and encountered by a man. And then every man will have to make important adjustments in life. And if we don't make the adjustments, we probably don't go on to the next stage. If we do make the adjustments, we will move on to the next stage. The warrior stage of 20 to 40. And you're going to see some overlap with the life stages we just looked at. But I think this has some interesting nuances to it. The wounded stage of 40 to 50. And that's obviously, we've talked about baggage and things like that. That's obviously where a lot of that uh, comes out and comes in. The mature stage of 50 to 60. And then lastly, the sage stage, and no, that rhyme was not my own creation, the sage stage of 60 plus. And so in this, you know, in this map that we see, I want you to think in this in terms of just development, just personal development, spiritual development, where you are, and knowing this, that wherever you are, there are unique challenges that are there, and if you'll step through them with God faithfully, it will position you to best navigate the next stage as God grows you and grows you and grows you. Because I think we could all attest to the fact that we have met older men that are some of the most godly men in the world, and we've met older men that are sort of perverts. I mean, we've, we've met them both. So age really, the, the flaw in Levinson and his study group from Yale, the flaw of their study is that they say because you're 60 years old, you're in this stage of life, and therefore you have all this gift to give to people. I think that's flawed. I think you reap what you sow. And if you've spent adolescent living for 55 years of your life, you're not going to have a lot to give back at age 60 or 65. And so the accuracy of this life map here is that it puts the burden back on the man and his relationship with God. And I think that's a really, really good thing. I think it's a really, really good thing. Um, I want to I move here to look at the creational stage of, of Adam. Um, each of us is endowed by God with certain inalienable rights. No, with certain gifts and talents and abilities. And so some of you in here are incredibly scientifically gifted in your mind. Some of you have an analytical mind. Some of you are so good with hand-eye coordination that you could be a surgeon or you could be a golfer. You could do either because you've just got that amount of coordination. Some of you have personalities, and it's sort of innately in you. You are the little kid that you made your family laugh, and all these people said, man, he's got the greatest smile, and what a cute boy. They, they, they talk, and you go into a room, and you could always socialize and mix with people easily. There wasn't a great deal of anxiety, and you discovered one day that you were in sales, and you couldn't figure out how you got there, but you knew that you enjoyed meeting so many people that you're really good at that. And, and so whatever your skill sets, whatever your gifts are, those are given by God, and it's, it's in this creational stage that we get sort of these affirmations. And the affirmations need to come to us not just from God. They need to come to us from other men and from our own fathers and mothers. And there's a verse in Proverbs 22.6 that says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And in the way he should go is literally according to his bent. In other according to the way God has fashioned him, he should be raised and dealt with. And as a dad, I have struggled with this now with four kids. 
that I have struggled with comparison between my son and my daughters. I've struggled with uh, the fact that I've tried to do one-size-fits-all parenting, and God has sort of convicted me of that through my wife over the last two or three years that I realized that, man, each, all of you, we have some common themes of life, but, but there's some real uniqueness that's going on. There's some real unique giftedness as well. And we don't need just one-size-fits-all teaching and one-size-fits-all. You know, and God and His Spirit, and that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, can apply the Word of God uniquely into your, state, you know, your station of life. But also that's what Christian brotherhood is about, that you would love each other enough to speak the Word of God as you see fit for a man in whatever situation he might find himself in, whether it's the tragedy of a divorce or whether it's the exhilaration of a promotion or, or fatherhood, that, that we would be sharp enough to speak these things into it. So for us, our goal is really not to instill gifts in our own kids. It's to, to call them out of our children, to enhance them, to give them opportunities to explore them. Instead of being sort of like, I think it was, the, the guy's name was Todd Marinovich, I think. He was a, went to USC. His dad was a quarterback, and his dad groomed his son to be a quarterback. And so he had a football in the crib with him from the time he was an infant. And everything was about football, 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 football. The tragedy for his life is that when he flames out and he doesn't become the greatest quarterback in history, his dad set him up for failure. His dad set him up for anxiety. His dad set him up for the sense of, well, who am I? And I think that's probably God's gift to Todd Marinovich is to set him free from being that because our life is never just what we do. It's really bigger than that. We're not human doings. We're human beings, and we've heard that before, but we're not relegated to a mere vocation or a mere job. So we need to enhance it. That's our role. The phallic stage, obviously this stage implies uh, energy, sexual energy um, that's there, and medical world will tell us that men hit their sexual peak during this time. I know it seems sort of unchurchy to talk about sexual peaks or whatever, but, but it's the, the reality of this stage of life. And here's the core question. Isn't, will I be a man? The question is this, will I be a man who rules his passions or will I be a man who is ruled by his passions? We have all this energy, all this drive, all this passion, and I remember it well. <laughs> it, it was always a discipline, and it was always a Romans 12, 1 and 2 moment. It was a Romans 6 moment for me. You know, what shall we say then? You know, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And I remember committing that whole chapter to memory to try to help me be sexually pure when I was in college because that was so, just my drive was there and it was always in front of me and I'd meet a girl and the first thing I'd notice is whether or not I was attracted to her and I, you know, it's like I couldn't get out of that, that realm and I was just living and trying to manage and, and in a sense give lordship of God over the drive that he gave to me. The drive was given to me. So if this isn't sex bad, you know, abstinence good, what this is is saying passion gift from God but don't let the gift become your God let God direct and rule your gift and that's the challenge of the phallic stage for us so here's a, a man by the name of Hicks wrote this he says I've met men in their 50s and 60s who still think of life during their 50s and 60s and they still think of life as below their belt most of the time They've never moved on in their maleness. They've never learned that sexual energy must be channeled constructively. And we've already hit this. 80-year-old men could be the most godly men on the planet, and 80-year-old men are probably sitting in some, quote, gentleman's club paying money to watch a girl that could be their great-great-granddaughter take her clothes off. The challenge for us as men, and a lot of us are in this stage right now, is will we pursue the purity that God calls us to in 1 Corinthians when Paul said, your body is the temple of God. That wasn't about lowering our cholesterol and watching our sodium intake. That was about keeping our pants on and keeping our mind fresh and clean on, on God's word. And we can misappropriate that scripture because America is obsessed with fitness and health while at the same time we have the most toxic spirituality of any country in the world, and that's a tragedy. It's funny. 
It's sort of like distracting someone, you know, doing something up here all the while you throw sand in their eyes so you can kick them. You know, it's like it's fighting dirty. The enemy fights dirty. There's entertainment. And, and so, oh, well, we've got to be really healthy. And so we focus on our body. And I'm not saying our bodies don't matter. That would be a very false dichotomy like the Gnostics would do. But, but we focus so much on our bodies that we're counting our grams of fat and our sodium and we're watching this and we, we've, oh, I've got to have this Adkin. I've got to go low carb. I've got to count my carbs. And the whole time we're not in the Word. We're not in prayer. We're not on mission. We're not growing. We're not speaking truth to each other. We're not connecting as men. And that's preposterous. It's crazy. That's what's wrong with our church. Not just our, I, I'm saying it's the Church of America. It, it happens. I'm there. I mean, I was the vegetarian in college and the exercise physiology guy. And, and God has had to peel that stuff away from me. And the most recent peeling away is he took running away three years ago. And I think I'm just now beginning to understand that. And I'm just now coming to terms with that. But that comes out of here, out of this phallic stage. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God. All of our sanctification, that means lordship. That means Jesus is Lord of every facet of life. That is that you and I abstain from sexual immorality, that each of us knows how to possess our own body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like unbelievers who do not know God. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would also write about that we were carried away with our lusts following after them and following after Satan prior to knowing him. And that's a pretty indicting thing when you read that. And then if he concludes it, obviously, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace that we're saved. And we celebrate that. So when we come on Sunday, we don't come into guilt. We come to celebrate the grace of God, but only if we're allowing God to be the Lord of our lust as opposed to lust being our Lord. The warrior stage, and this is an awesome stage. This is the stage of, you know, we're going we're gonna to take the company national. We're going to broker the biggest deal in the history of the world. You know, this is, whether it's Google, you know, and, and, and they're working, they're laboring, they're burning, they're 100 plus hour weeks, they're making this thing happen, and there's an adrenaline rush with it. It's a, it's a great stage of life. Proverbs 20, 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength. We're going to look at the second part of that verse in just a minute. It's certainly true. It's certainly true. And there's a competitiveness in it to be the best, to be the brightest, to be the smartest, to be the strongest, to be the fastest, to have the most, to drive the newest, to be the first with technology or the first to master technology. It's there. It's sort of in our DNA as men. And yet, if it's misappropriated out of the kingdom of God and into the kingdom of the world, all of a sudden we begin to miss why it's there. That God gives us the energy at that part of life to be on mission for Him. And Paul reduced it to this, that we're not wrestling anymore against flesh and blood. It's not about who's the fastest, strongest, meanest, baddest, toughest. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood anymore. We are laboring and fighting and competing in the spiritual realm even when I'm making tents and even when I'm in commerce and even when I'm a physician or a teacher or a coach or a lawyer that I do those things but not at the expense of the greater call of God upon my life. And so don't hear me saying get out of the marketplace. Hear me say don't let the marketplace control your life and your energy to the exclusion of your relationship with God and others. The struggle that's within the warrior stage is the struggle for wisdom. And that is simply this, what will all of my strength and all of my energy and what battles will I fight? What will it all be used for? What kingdom will I build? We all know the story of the Tower of Babel and how that turns out. We perhaps are in a country of Babel in some ways right now. And yet God's laid us here, each of us as men, sovereignly here to be countercultural and to begin to expose the lies that are around us 
that money can't ever satisfy and that stuff doesn't satisfy and also that there is one who does and that it's not about our own perfection, that there's a lot of brokenness. I just got back from a symposium late, 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 or early, early, early this morning, whatever you want to say. Um, in Austin, it was on arts and, and faith and Christianity and the intersection of those. And, you know, I, I, I'd lie to you, there, there are men, you know, in our, in our spot here, and there were men there just listening to some of their struggles in here of trying to keep right perspective on things. And so my challenge is just really, just like God, spend time with God to let him direct you in your, in your vocation. Um, the wounded stage is a time of reflection and reevaluation in life. Uh, most men become aware of it because, uh, like in seventh grade in a cross-country race, one of my first ones, it had rained, and I was running in the lower fields, which is right by the Tennessee River, and so it's low, and it's sort of swampy, marshy ground, and when it rained for two days, the coach was always like, double-tie your shoes and tape them. Yeah, that's always what he'd tell us on days like that, and I didn't, and, you know, I'm a seventh-grade guy, and I'm running, and about two and a half miles into it, I'm on the lower fields and stomp. I look back and can't even see my shoe. I knew I could stop, but I also knew that I was running the best race of the season that I had run so far and I didn't want to. And I also knew that my shoe was covered in mud already and it was probably going to be about a pound and I only weighed 60 pounds. And so no one wants to run around with like one twelfth of their body weight or one twentieth of their, you know, so it's like I just left it and I ran. The only problem is there's gravel and everything else between there and the last half mile of the race, the finish line. And I finish, and I didn't even know in the midst of that that my foot was bleeding and it was hurt and all that stuff. It wasn't until after the race was over. And if you played football, you've got stories of, you know, you, you dislocated your collarbone and you finish the game and then you're like, oh, oh, what? You know, it's like you discover something or in wrestling. I, I remember that the worst thing was after a tournament, I just knew that I was going to wake up on a Sunday morning and try to get ready for church and that I was going to ache somewhere that I didn't know that I really was ready to ache in from some hold I was in or something that I had done the previous two days of wrestling. And, and so in this, this is the wounded stage because we become aware of the wounds that we've taken in trying to get to where we are today. And the wounds can be relational. Uh, my brother's first marriage ended in divorce and bitterness uh, because he was a workaholic. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lay it all at his feet, but very much uh, disconnected with his, with his wife. Um, lots of men have that similar story. It's not shame, shame on you, but it's like let's learn and let's be aware and let's say, God, you redeem. Um, and so the question becomes, and now what do I do? If I've been wounded in the midst of all of this, how do I handle that? What do I do with that? And so for some men, this is the age of great uh, discontent, and it's tempered with alcoholism or workaholism or sexual addiction or any of these of, of, of medicating the woundedness we've experienced. And so in this, I think it, it's a call to just, I would just say, prayerfulness and finding brothers in Christ to come along with us. That we don't need to hide the woundedness, but we don't need to sit in it and meditate in it and just stare at it. And that's the danger of the first six weeks of men's life that we've been going through, is that just to look at it as pity's sake, just pity me. No, that's not the spirit of it. It's to look, to learn, to leave. Does that make sense? I mean, that's what we hopefully have all done. So uh, dealing with the woundedness isn't bad. And uh, in this stage here, we want to be sure that we're also not walking over people to accomplish the goals that we have, whether it's our own children, our spouses, or in the marketplace. Uh, Matthew 5, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Praise God for that passage. Uh, I love that. And uh, if you've never mourned before because men don't mourn, I, I would just challenge you at some point in time to find a place incredibly private and if there's an area of your life that you have felt wounded and disappointed in, just to ask God to give you healing in that. And if tears come, great, and if they don't, great but to put yourself in a position that you could actually let that out. And I think the arts are a beautiful spot for that. Um, the mature stage-ish, 50 to 60, and I just need to wrap this up real quickly. Um, let me figure out how to do that. Okay. Bottom line in this is really a time that we want to come to peace with God in this. And the proverb or the psalm 
is, is David is probably in this stage of life, and, and he writes the 23rd Psalm, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's a sense of contentment that's there. Don Mutton, I mean, we've, we've talked about this because he's further down the road than me. He's, he's sort of arrived at this stage right now in life. It's been really neat to see him just settle into a real maturity of just accepting who he is now and accepting uh, what he can physically do and not do. And he was a great athlete in college, a great ball player. And, and he recognizes right now he doesn't have to be the youngest, greatest. He doesn't have to beat the Summit Ministries people at everything. And, you know, early on he, he wanted to prove himself and show that. And, and now he's, he's come full circle to just being able to rest and realize that the greatest thing he could be doing is helping shape their lives. And I thought, man, that's an incredible testimony, um, 23rd Psalm. Uh, the sage stage is, is really just living out life here in a sacrificial power from God. And so it's the only way, I think, to do it uh, because we are physically tired. Uh, these are the men that are the standard bearers for every industry. And the verse that we think of is, yes, the glory of a young man is his strength, but I love the second part of this. In our culture, we have hair coloring, and it's bad to have gray hair, and yada, yada, yada. Don't tell Jason Swigger I said that. The glory of old men is their gray hair, right? Biblically, that's true. It's about wisdom. It's about accumulated knowledge of God. And so, for us, you know, Billy Graham at 75, a Christian in winter. Wonderful. It was a great interview with him, and and he has continued to champion the cause of Christ globally. And here's Donald Drew. Um, in my life, Donald Drew has been the sage in a lot of my life. He is a Cambridge professor that Francis Schaeffer lured away to help start Labrie in, in Switzerland. And I had the privilege of meeting him when I was at Labrie in college. And I've had the privilege of when he's come back to the States to get together with him. And I had the privilege three years ago to go to London to spend a week with him. And, and as we went through the National Gallery, you know, right off of Trafalgar Square, I probably got the best tour of that gallery than anyone's ever gotten being with him. And I actually took that there at the gallery. As he, we, I interviewed him just talking about life and ministry. He's never been married. He's mentored and trained, I'll say, thousands of men. He's been so far ahead of his time on Christ and culture. He wrote a book on Christ and film and movies in Hollywood back in the late 60s. Uh, we're just now catching up to that and understanding the power and the impact of film as a media that can shape a narrative that can then communicate eternal values to people and challenge the status quo. Um, he's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man. And, and I want to be a man like that. And I think we need a church with men like that. And so there are men like Roger Bridgewater, uh, LaRue Coleman, uh, yeah, I, 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 I hate to even begin naming names because I, I'm going to miss someone in there, but there are men that, that have accumulated a lot, and they also pour themselves out a lot. And that's who Don Mutton's going to be. If you want to know, well, what's Don going to be like when he gets older? I'm like, he's still going to be crazy and funny and love life, but he is going to continue to pour his life out. He's going to be a sage. He's going to make it to that stage because he's stewarding his life now. He's not going to get stuck in the phallic stage. He's not going to just get stuck as a warrior that when the wounded stage has hit, instead of him getting bitter about it, he surrendered it to God. And so for us, that's important. The last map of, of manhood is this. It's your manhood plan. And so it's the most important map that there is for you because it is the map that you have prayerfully engaged in that is most relevant to you. And it's also an open-ended document that will continue to bring, hopefully, a dialogue between you, some Christian men, and the Lord. Um, and working it out, you know, is one thing, like turning it in, but then actually living it out is the exciting part. I don't think Lewis and Clark would have had a lot of excitement just sort of being cartographers and uh, just studying maps and wondering where things went. There was something about the discovery that they went on and the risk that they took. And I think God created men for risk, and he's created you all to risk and me to risk, to live out our manhood plans, and not just to sit back. So as we've seen, manhood isn't about being a victim. We don't live it passively. We live it actively. We take the heavy responsibility that God has placed upon our lives in there, and then we courageously step out 
in ministry. We step out in industry. We step into relationships courageously. But we don't do it pessimistically. We do it optimistically because we expect God's greater reward in it. And that is a simple view of manhood, and yet I think it's a really deep view of manhood. I think it's, uh, it's, it's compelling. And so for us here, I want to say it's, it's been an incredibly good journey. I hope and I pray that you all have taken, taken good things from this. Um, I wish Pastor Greg were here for us to thank him, uh, Don Mutton to thank him, Jason Swigert to thank them, uh, Afshin Ziafat, Ben Pritchett, um, to say that each of them, it's not their name. They're, the moniker on their door is like pastor, summit ministries, uh, adult education. It's not men's minister. I mean, it's, it's under my umbrella here. And yet I approach them because I believe each of their perspectives, I respect each of them as brothers in Christ, and they're in different stages of life. And so I wanted you to be able to experience that. I also wanted to say there are a lot of volunteers.